Well, good morning to you. Uh, if I've not met you yet, my name is Michael Hill. Um, I am one of the pastors here, and this is my fourth Sunday. So I've got a lot of experience under my belt here at New City Church. And uh, I have every answer that you need as it relates to this place. So uh, I'll be over here set up in the corner afterwards and be happy to answer any question. No, um, it is a joy to be here. We've been here in New York City for about a month now. And uh, it has been uh, a wonderful, wonderful adventure so far. Uh, the number one question I get asked, having lived in Alabama before here, is how are you going to make it in New York City? How, how are you surviving? Um, and it's, it's fun. It really is. Uh, Alabama just happens to be the last place that I lived. Uh, to tell you a little bit about myself and my family, um, my wife and I, next month, will be married 10 years. Uh, we got one little girl that's five years old. Uh, we adopted her from China uh, a little over four years ago. And uh, I myself personally have been in ministry now for about 16 years. And uh, it's been a blast. Uh, originally, I was born in Michigan and uh, lived the first few years of my life there. And then my dad's job took us to West Tennessee. So it was a drastic change. Uh, from life in Michigan, and I lived in a small town in Tennessee. I heard uh, Ryan say earlier, he uh, a couple of weeks ago, he mentioned a place called Rural King, and uh, that was a, a that was an exciting place for me to go uh, when I was in Tennessee because there was so much there. I worked on a farm; there was more cows than there were people in my town, so that was very different. Uh, but after high school and after college. The Lord has moved me in a lot of places. Uh, I've been on staff at churches in Tennessee, in Florida. Uh, my wife and I, we lived in Shanghai, China as missionaries for a couple of years. And so that's sort of where our uh, understanding of city life comes from. Uh, New York City is actually smaller and slower than uh, Shanghai, China. So uh, this is kind of like a little getaway for us uh, compared to life there. But we are so excited to be here in New York City and be a part of New City Church. If you've got a Bible this morning, uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, you can uh, flip to that, you can swipe to that, uh, however you want to choose to try to get there. Here at New City, over the last few weeks, we've been going through a series called Distinctives. And in this series, we've been looking at specific aspects or traits, distinct traits that make up a Christian. Uh, as a Christian, as we read through the Bible, it makes very clear that we are no longer a part of this world. We are now different. We are set apart. Uh, it tells us in Corinthians that the old things have passed away. In other words, the things that make up a, a person and the way that they perceive life and the way they live and the things they chase after those things are gone because in Christ we become a new person. We take on a new personality. We take on new traits. Uh, who we are, uh, that is, is still there, but the sin nature, we now have freedom from that. And so there are specific traits that we see, and we've seen some of these traits over the last few weeks. Uh, traits such as love, or worship in community, or forgiveness, or compassion as we saw last week. And these are things that distinctly set us apart from anybody else whether it be a religious person maybe maybe they're a buddhist maybe they're a hindu maybe they're a muslim these are qualities that they cannot 
have and possessed fully because they are not a new person in Christ. They do not have the Holy Spirit living within them. And so these are traits that can only be put fully on display in the life of a Christian. And today we're going to look at the distinct trait of peace, living a life of peace. Uh, The word peace is defined as a freedom from disturbance, quiet, and it also means quiet and tranquil. And so this is what we think of a lot of times when we think of peace. Um, Just a couple nights ago with my daughter, I was watching a a, a movie called Kung Fu Panda. Uh, If you've seen that movie, it's a a fun children's movie. It's got this large panda who's the... uh, the, the the great kung fu master that they've been looking for, but he doesn't know it. Uh, but his trainer is a guy named Master Shifu, uh, which which I always think is funny because if anybody speaks Chinese, Shifu means master. So technically his name is Master Master. But you've got this guy that's training this panda named Po, and every now and then you'll see him away, and he's he's sitting with his legs crossed, and he's got his arms out, and he just keeps saying inner peace inner peace and then then poe comes along and sort of distracts him and he can't keep, keep this this clear train of thought and he starts going it inner inner peace and, and so you see him striving for this idea of of peace of tranquility that there's no disturbance in his life and he's at rest and at ease with everything that that he's facing and a lot of times this is what we kind of think peace is going to be that, that as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that we'll just suddenly get to this state of, of nirvana where, where we just got this, this ease and this rest about us. And it's so much deeper and greater and more magnificent than what peace is often portrayed in. And the other interesting thing about peace is that most of the time we're looking for it in the wrong places. We strive to find peace in places that we're familiar with. Uh, So if we think that maybe a career will bring us peace, we'll strive to find peace in a career. If we think a financial status will bring us peace, then we'll strive to find peace in that financial status. And what we find is all of these areas will always let us down. They're always going to fall short. And so this morning, we're going to look at three things from Philippians chapter 4 that will help us understand how not only can we experience this peace, but we can experience this peace to the fullest. So if you got your Bible, look at Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 4 and go down to verse 9. Philippians 4, verse 4, down to verse 9. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now listen to verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace 
will be with you. I'd like to pray before we go any further. Lord, we do thank you for your word here. We thank you that you are the God of peace. And that in you, in a relationship with you, we can experience this peace. Lord, I pray this morning as we look at your word and we talk about this peace. Lord, that you would open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes to see, to know, and to understand this peace. And experience the freedom of living in this peace. We pray this in your name. Amen. The first thing I want us to look at this morning as we talk about peace and as we look at this text is, first of all, we need to understand that God is real. So number one, if you're taking notes, God is real. Before we can have real peace, we must first understand the source of real peace. Again, as I said just a few moments ago, too many times we're looking for peace in the areas that we're familiar with, the areas that we know about. And we continue to strive after that, and we fail in an area or something falls short, and we think, well, if I had just tried harder, if I had just run after that, a little bit faster, if I had given just a little bit more energy, I would have experienced peace. But what we begin to see as we look here in Scripture is that the reason we don't find peace is because we're looking in the wrong places. And as long as we're looking there, we'll never find real peace. What we need to understand is that God is real because God is the source of peace. Look at verse 7 again. It says the peace of God. In other words, this peace that belongs to God, this peace that he owns and he alone owns. This is his peace. You're not going to find anyone or anything else that exclusively has a hold on peace. It's only God. And it says this peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As we think about our lives and the the times that we are struggling, we feel that there is no peace. It's usually in our heart or it's in our mind that we face this attack. And so we need to have this steadfast understanding and assurance within our mind and within our heart of this peace that belongs to God. And go down to verse 9. It says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. He is the God of peace. So not only is it his, it says that he's the God of peace, that he is over, he is above, he is the creator of this peace. It's not that peace existed and God is one of many gods that just takes this peace that he finds and he distributes it as he finds it. No, he is the creator of this peace. I say, that's great, Michael. I understand you're saying this, but how do we communicate this? What is the importance of understanding that God is real? Too many minds in this world think of God as just some man-made creation. Too many people in this world would say that maybe the God of this Bible is just one of many gods. Too many people in this world would say God is not real. He is a man-made creation. And as long as we're looking at this from that context, then we will never have assurance of this peace in God that God has created. So we need to understand that God is real, and we see this throughout Scripture. Again, if you're taking notes, write down Psalm 19, 
verses 1 through 2. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Romans 1, verses 18 and 20 says something very similar to this. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. And look at verse 20. It says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. So in these two passages, one in the Old Testament in Psalm and the other in the New Testament in Romans, we can see that there is clear evidence of a God because of his creation, because of the order in his creation. Now, in college, my major was physics and mathematical sciences. So it, it's come in really handy uh, in 16 years of ministry. You know, I, I, I come back to that a lot. It's, it's very helpful. When I was growing up, I did not grow up in church. Uh, I did not grow up as a Christian. It wasn't until middle school that my parents even began to take us to church. And it wasn't until after college that I truly became a Christian. And one of the things that I rolled around in my mind a lot was all these things that I had learned in science. All these things that I'd had these great minds of science teach me. I I had one professor, my main physics professor, he was my advisor. Every year he would take the ACT and the SAT just for fun to make sure he could still ace them. And so I had these brilliant minds that would tell me all these things about science. And so when I started looking at things in the Bible and trying to, to fit that with science, it didn't make sense to me. But then the Lord and his patience and his grace helped me see how these things actually fit together, that science is this ever-evolving process of understanding God's order of creation. So if you're a scientific mind like me, understand that science is always evolving. It's not set in place. If you go over to the Louvre in Paris, France, there's 1.5 miles of books that are outdated and inaccurate science books now. And and so science is always evolving, but when we look at creation, we can see the evidence of a God who has created order, who has brought order to everything. And when we sit down and we study through something that we call science, it is studying his rules, it's his laws, it's his order to his creation. And this creation gives evidence to a creator. Some of you may have have heard an illustration like this before, but but take this watch, for example. This watch is clear evidence that there's a watchmaker. It's not that I was walking out in uh, down some street near a watch factory one day, and all of a sudden there was an explosion, and I looked, and on the ground I was like, hey, look at that, there's a watch. That this explosion, all these parts just came together, and suddenly there was a watch. No, there's order. And order only comes by someone placing things in order. And so creation makes clear that there's a God. But that is something that we see with our mind and that we perceive with our mind and we process with our mind. But Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, show us that there is something else that proves to us that God is real. 
It says in Romans 2, for when Gentiles, that would be anyone in this world who is not Jewish in their descent, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. In other words, what we see this text saying is that our mind can observe and see and process that there is order to creation, but our hearts also give evidence that God is real. That someone who has never heard of the God of the Bible, that someone who has never read the Bible, that someone who has no access to God's law as we see in the Bible, their hearts give evidence that there is a law. That there is a right or a wrong. We are born with a moral conscience. Now that conscience may be seared, it may be damaged depending on the life that we live growing up. But there is not a civilization, no it doesn't matter how remote or how far removed from the rest of the world they are, there is not a civilization in this world that does not have laws of some kind that have some resemblance to God's law. And that is because of the moral conscience that God has placed within us. We have clear evidence that the God of the Bible is real. And if He is real, then when we read here in verses 7 and 9 that He is the God of peace and that this peace belongs to Him, then there is something special about this peace. Say, Michael, if that's the case, if, if creation makes so clear that God is real, if a conscience also bears witness to this God, how come so many people are in the dark about Him? And Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek Me and find Me when you seek Me with all your heart. There are so many billions of people in this world who do not seek God with all their heart. They try to find peace. They try to find joy. They try to find satisfaction in so many other places. So number one, as we think about this peace, this is the groundwork. We need to understand that God is real. If you've got questions about that, I would be more than happy to spend as much time as needed to talk further about that. Number two, I can know this God. So number one, we see God is real. Number two, we can know this God. Not just know about him, but know this God. Growing up, I loved watching Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was one of my all-time favorite basketball players growing up. I would watch a game, and then I would immediately, even if it was dark, even if it was 10 degrees outside, I'd turn the dryer on in our, on our house so that the vent from the dryer would blow hot air, and I would go out and I would mimic these Michael Jordan moves. My hands would get cold. I'd put them under the dryer vent. I would go and I'd start mimicking. I mean, I knew everything about Michael Jordan. I know about his high school. I know about his college. I know about his NBA career. I know about his family. Like, I was obsessed with Michael Jordan. That, that is who I wanted to play like. I know all this stuff about him, but I've never met him. The closest I've been is about 50 rows up in a stadium watching him play one time. This is not what we're talking about here. It's not knowing about God. It's about knowing this God. And it's not just enough to know that God is real and that He is the only source of peace. We need to understand that peace comes to us 
when we know him. So we must have this relationship with him. We must know him. John 17 verse 3. John 17 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So Jesus is praying here in John 17, and he says this is eternal life, that, that we know God, and that we know Jesus Christ who God the Father sent. But how do we know him? How can we know this God of the Bible? Well, this right here is the key. He has revealed himself to us in these 31,000 plus verses of this Bible. He, he has shown us his character. He's shown us that he's a God of love, that he's a God of compassion, that he is a God of peace, that he's a God of grace, that he's a God of mercy, but he's also a just God. He doesn't just let sin slide. He makes his character abundantly clear here in the Bible. It says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. In other words, even though we find writers of this Bible, we find men, over 40 of these different men who have penned different parts of this Bible, it is God who has given them these words. And people will argue, how can we trust the Bible, if so many different men have written it. Here's the thing about God. He is all-knowing. It's like a teacher with a dry erase board. They, they grab a, a red marker that they know is dependable, and they, they write key words on the board. And then they know they want the definitions to be in green, so it stands out a little bit. So they'll grab the green, and then they'll write the definitions to those words in green. And then they want to make a few extra points, so they grab the blue marker, and then they write in the blue marker because they have a system. They want to use these different markers, but each marker is distinct. It has its own personality, its own quality. Maybe it's a thick marker, or maybe it's fine print. It's different colors, and what God did is he knew that different men would be dependable, that they would be faithful to the word that he gave them. And so it's got a little bit of their personality in it. It's got a little bit of their character but they wrote the words that God had them to write. And this is what the Bible tells us, that all Scripture is God-breathed. And so the best way for us to know this God is by spending time with Him in His Word. When we take time to open the Bible and read it, not just to gain some new trivia fact, not to just learn more knowledge. But understanding this is like God's love letter to us. If it's talking to nothing but teenagers, this is God's text message to us. Then we would know that this is personal. This is not just a fact book. This is what he wants us to know about him and his character. And so when we spend time in His Word, we learn about Him. It tells us in 1 John chapter 4 that God, that we love God because God first loved us. And as we learn about this love and we grow in our love for Him, this is where we begin to experience His peace. When we read the Word and we understand that, that He is sovereign, in other words, He sits over and in control of all happenings, 
then we can take great peace even when the worst of things happen to us. Because we know God is doing something greater because God says in His Word that He works all things together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So when the Bible tells us these things, and we're spending time with Him, and we're learning these things about Him, and then we see them on display in our life, our trust for Him grows, and the peace in our life will also grow. And how do we get to this place? We've got to be intentional to spend time with Him every single day. Every day, we must walk with Him. Even if it's just waking up in the morning and taking just a couple minutes to say, Lord, thank You for this day. Even if it's just reading five, six verses out of the Bible a day. We need to start somewhere. But we need to walk with Him. And the last thing, number three, not only is God real, not only can we know Him, here's where it gets really exciting. This God knows me. Number three, this God knows me. Four years ago, my wife Shannon and I traveled to to China. We were there for three weeks. And while we were there, we got this little girl. Her Chinese name at the time was Dong Zhe Hong. And, and she was handed into our arms for the first time ever in October of 2012. And, and, and I'll never forget that day. We'd been told so many things about international adoption. We'd been told that many times that child will be fearful of both parents, or maybe they'll only bond with one parent. But this was a little girl that we had loved long before we'd met her. We had been in the process for 16 months to adopt this little girl. We'd been praying for her multiple times every day. We loved her. She didn't even know we existed. But we were, we were wholeheartedly pursuing her. And then this day comes and we find her. And, and she's brought into this room and Shannon sees her first. Shannon says that's her, and she makes a beeline. I mean, the whole process is you wait for them to come here, and then they hand you the child. Shannon's like, forget that. And she's like over here, and she, she reaches out and promised us this little number. She reaches for Shannon. She, she could not wait to, to, to be held by her. This doesn't happen, or supposed to not happen. We serve a big God. And so she immediately wanted Shannon. I was like, okay, she's bonded to her. You'll be okay, Michael. We'll work through this. I'll just show her that I care for her. I love her. And eventually she'll like me too. So after about five minutes, I just said to Shannon, can, can I try to hold her? And I do. And she immediately wanted to hold me too. It's like, wow, this is my little girl. I will die for this little girl. I know her. She's mine. And this is what the Bible says about God's relationship with us who belong to him, that we are his. And he has literally died for us. He he went to the cross with your sins and my sins, and he died for us. And now we are his forever. The Bible tells us in John 1.12, but to all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Galatians 3.26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. 1 John 3.1-12, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, so we are. 
The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. He, he knows us. And you know what this does as it relates to peace? We gain this peace by knowing Him. This peace is solidified by the fact that He knows us and He calls us His own. We are His children. There's a law that we learned about as we were going through the adoption process, and I think it is very, very fitting as it applies to our adoption with Christ. The law states this in the U.S., that any biological children you have, any child you give birth to, you can give up. You, you can let go of them, you can remove them, you don't have to have them. But any child that you adopt in the U.S., legally, you can never give them up. Now, if you're an awful parent, they can be taken away from you, but you legally can never make the decision to give them up. And that is the case with our Heavenly Father. Once we're His, we're His forever. John 10, 28 tells us that, that He holds us in His hand and no one can take us out. There's a fancy Greek word that's used there. And that word means all-inclusive. In other words, when it says no one, that means us too. We can't pull ourselves. There's nothing we can do that would remove us from His hand. We're in His hand forever. When the God of the universe, the God of all creation, calls us His, we are His sons, we are His heirs, the peace that we receive from that is tremendous. And when we experience that peace, we ourselves become peacemakers. In fact, Matthew 5, 9 even says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Wow. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know how mixed up and chaotic and crazy your life is. Or if everything's even in order right now. Maybe life seems to be going smooth. But understand, regardless of where you're at in life, if you are experiencing peace right now, it's because God in His grace and His mercy has given you that peace. You did not produce that peace. But if you feel like your life is chaotic right now and there is no rest and there is no peace, look to Him. That's where we find peace. When we turn our eyes away from Him, that's when we lose sight of it. In Matthew 22, there is a story of Jesus and the disciples. The disciples are in a boat. And they take this boat out into the sea. And during the night at some point, Jesus comes to them walking on the water. He's Jesus. He can do that if He wants to. And so He's walking on the water. And they're scared. They, I mean, let's be realistic. If you see some man walking across the East River and uh, it's kind of a nasty night out, probably going to mess with you a little bit too. No, it would me. So they're a little scared. And they say, whoa, 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 it's a ghost. And Jesus says, hey, hey, calm down. It's, it's me. And so you get to verse 28 of Matthew 22, and Peter says, if it's you, command me to come to you. So Jesus says, come. And we lose sight of this. If we're familiar with this story, if you grew up with this story, we lose sight of this, that Peter actually walked on the water. Peter is the only man in the history of the world that walked on water. Jesus was 100% man, but he's also 100% God. So he had that going in his favor. Peter's the only man, and he walks on the water. But then what happens? It tells us in verse 29, that he takes his eyes off of Jesus. 
starts to see the wind and the waves. And that's when he starts to sink. So this morning or just about afternoon, what are your eyes focused on? What are you looking at? Because that will determine that your life is in peace or your life feels as though it's in chaos. Three questions to leave you with. We bring this to a close. Let me ask you this. Does God know you? Does God know you? Were you going to stand before him one day and he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you? Or is he going to look at you and know you and say, well done, good and faithful servant? Question number two, how well do you know God? How well do you know him? Is he faithful? Is he loving? Is he real? How well do you know him? And the third question is, is he real to you? Those are the things I want to leave you with to think about. When we can answer these questions with yes, those are the moments in our life where we experience a peace that surpasses all understanding. And this is a peace that we can experience for all of eternity. We have a relationship with Jesus Christ.